Hello and welcome to the MTP Connect podcast. I'm Shannon Osrin. This week, we bring you another episode in our continuing look at the public health challenges presented by antimicrobial resistance. Andrew Boskill, our Director of Stakeholder Engagement for Queensland, delivered a keynote address at the 2020 DMTC conference in Canberra, which was supported by MTB Connect. We're going to take you there now. So over to DMTC's CEO, Mark Hodge. Ladies and gentlemen, we might reconvene after the morning tea break. Lots of great conversations going out there, of course, and that's exactly what we like to see happening. It's, uh, I think, one of the one of the great elements of, of meetings like this. We've, we're very lucky and, and very happy to be able to welcome Andrew Bowskill from MTP Connect. And also important to acknowledge MTP Connect as both a key partner in our medical countermeasures program and a sponsor of this conference. So we, we really appreciate that support and, uh, and the partnership. Andrew is the Director of Stakeholder Engagement for Queensland at MTP Connect working from the office at the Translational Research Institute in Woolloongabba, Brisbane. Previously with Medicines Australia, he was manager of industry and regulatory policy, engaging with a broad cross-section of stakeholders, including consumer groups, companies, peak bodies, the Commonwealth and state officials. He brings a deep understanding of MTP industry and regulatory policy, including R&D policy, intellectual property, trade agreements and biosimilars. He has a Bachelor of Pharmacy from the University of Otago and has held a number of pharmacy roles in Queensland, including cl Clinical Pharmacist, Adult Emergency and Medical Admissions and Planning Unit, Master Pharmacy Services and Team Leader, Master Private Hospital Pharmacy. Please welcome Andrew Bowskill. So thanks everybody. I enjoy, for a couple of reasons, I enjoy coming to Canberra. I used to live here um, and when I worked at Medicines Australia, so that was good. And also, I get the opportunity to um, maybe uh, steal a couple of rolls of toilet paper from the hotel. So, <laughs> but yeah, there's, um, there's, you can't get it in Brisbane at the moment. But um, oh, seriously, though, I think that, that um, you know, it's, it shows what, what threats can do and how national threats can come from anywhere, really. And, um, and that's what I'm going to talk to you today about, because they can certainly cause chaos, as we're seeing at the moment with COVID-19. So MTP Connect, we're the industry growth centre for the medtech, the um, biotech and the pharmaceutical sectors in Australia. And our aim is to promote and accelerate the growth of the sector here. So we're one of six industry growth centres, and we focus on four key areas to deliver our goals. So first area is we uh, work to increase collaboration and commercialization across the sector. And we also work to improve management and workforce skills and to improve access of, um, to global supply chains and international markets. So we're currently hosting Frank Jaskulski from the Medical Alley Association in Minnesota. And that's an example of, of we're, we're upskilling people and, and giving insights into how to access the uh, US market. And the last thing we do, uh, we focus on, is optimising the regulatory environment. And you know, it's a bunch of stakeholders up there, and we work with all these stakeholders to try and ensure that we've got a fit-for-purpose regulatory and policy environment in Australia. So ultimately, what we're trying to achieve is to ensure that the great research that's being done in our institutions here is translated into commercial outcomes that will ultimately help Australian patients. 
So Australia has a, a proud history in antimicrobial development. This is a photo of um, Howard Florey, and he won the, um, he shared the Nobel Prize for medicine or physiology back in 1945. And his role was to conduct the first clinical trials of penicillin. So obviously penicillin's made a massive impact into the health of, of the world, and, and has, he's consequently saved literally millions of lives from that. Um, clinical trials is, is, is a strength of Australia, and um, Frank Jaskulki, he was just talking about that, you know, to, in, it, reinforcing that message that, that we really do have a, a, an international great reputation for running clinical trials down here. So we can honour that heritage and join the global fight or continue the global fight against antimicrobial resistance. So what is antimicrobial resistance? Well, it occurs when bacteria, parasites, viruses or fungi change to protect themselves from the effects of the antimicrobial drugs that we've designed to destroy them. It basically starts to happen as soon as we use the antimicrobial. And after, uh, after time, the antimicrobial will, will just cease to work. So this has been recognised as a global problem. And in 2014, David Cameron, uh, the UK, then UK PM, he commissioned a guy called Lord Jim O'Neill. He was an economist to conduct the review on antimicrobial resistance. And he asked them to look at the rising drug resistance and propose some actions on what we can do to combat that. And this is what David Cameron said at the time. So if we fail to act, we're looking at an almost unthinkable scenario where antibiotics no longer work and we're cast back into the dark ages of medicine. So the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC in the States, they've called antibiotic resistance one of the world's most pressing public health problems. And the WHO has cautioned that it's possible that a post-antibiotic era may be coming where even minor infections that are currently easily treated with common antibiotics may become deadly again. And the numbers that we're looking at, they truly are alarming. So uh, drug-resistant infections are already on the rise with numbers suggesting that up to 50,000 lives are lost each year to antibiotic-resistant re infections in Europe and the US alone. So globally, at least 700,000 people die each year of drug resistance and illnesses such as bacterial inf infections, malaria, HIV and AIDS, and tuberculosis. In Australia, the OECD estimates that an average of 290 people die each year in Australia due to infections from eight-resistant bacteria, and by 2050, as many as 10,000 Australians will die from infections, um, which our current suite of antibiotics will be unable to treat. And extrapolated globally, AMR is on track to claim 10 million lives per year by 2050. So that's more than that we that are currently um, losing to cancer. So really quite alarming figures. And obviously this is going to have widespread impact, impact to the economy and the budget. Um, it's going to put significant pressure on our healthcare system. Patients in the, uh, the healthcare system are impacted via treatment failures, recurring infections, longer hospital stays, longer recovery times, and there are a higher risk of mortality and long-term implications. So we'll get to a situation where routine surgeries and minor infections will become life-threatening once again. Um, for example, without effective prophylactic antibiotic use in surgery, uh, due to AMR, post-op infection rates could rise from, currently there are just less than 2%, they could um, potentially go up to 40 or 50%, and then it would have 30% of patients would die from a resistant bug basically making that surgery just not, it'd be too risky to proceed. 
So, and all this would mean higher expenses, both for public healthcare providers and for out-of-pocket payers. And our friend Lord O'Neill, in his review earlier, said that um, he proposed that if no action was taken by 2050, a cumulative 100 trillion US dollars of economic output are at risk due to ri the rise of drug-resistant infections. So what can we do about it? So there's a number of things that are, that are being done and can be done to combat antimicrobial resistance. So one of the things is that we know that we, the more we use them, the more resistance develops. So we can try and stop using them. So and there's a number of strategies that we can put in place to reduce the use <coughs> of antimicrobials. And they're really, obviously, really important. We don't want to take a drug if we don't have to, right? I'd rather not. So um, the first one is infection prevention and control, and we're seeing that. There's a really big focus with COVID-19 right now. So we're trying to prevent people getting the infection. That happens. We don't need to use the drug. Great. And we, if we do have to use it, we want it to be used prudently. So we've got an, uh, a, and that's in humans and animals. So resistance will occur through, through animal intake as well. And then, so we're running a lot of, well, not, MTP Connect, but there, it is a strong uh, focus as stewardship programs in hospitals, making sure that if we're going to use the antibiotic, we use the right one at the right time and we de-escalate that use as soon as we can. So there's also um, uh, strategies around enhanced surveillance systems and data collection, and as well as, as promoting a better public and professional understanding of antimicrobial resistance. You see a fair bit of that with, you know, trying to get the public to understand that if you have a cold or a flu, don't ask your GP for an antibiotic because it's just not going to work. So, yeah, why, why do it? Reducing demand is great, but when you have reduced demand for something and, the, and you've got long development timelines and significant costs, then there's little financial incentive for anyone to make new antibiotics. So we, we're basically it's creating a, a sort of a... a a market failure, really, for, for novel antimicrobials. So as a consequence of the market failure, we've got a bit of a supply problem. And um, uh, we've, that needs to be addressed really urgently because even though we can reduce the use of antibiotics, we're still going to have infections. And so we all, Australians, we all expect to be able to have access to the drugs that we need when we need them and then at a price that we and the community can afford. And that's actually enshrined in the national medicines policy as well. So critically important. So as I said, developing new anti antimicrobials is really, really challenging. Okay, and we've got a weak pipeline despite the urgent needs. So that, you know, even though we, we know, we know we need novel antimicrobials, but there's still a weak pipeline. And that, there's been a, a substantial decline in the number of companies undertaking antimicrobial development over the past couple of decades, and very few antibiotics have been developed in this time. Most of the new ones are just basically variations of ones we've got already, um, and there's only been five novel classes developed over the last 20 years. Also, the increasing rate of resistance to many, many commonly used antibiotics through our, um, observed through our surveillance programs mean that they, the ones that we have are becoming obsolete. So there's three main challenges in trying to develop a novel antimicrobial. The first is R&D translation and commercialization, and we heard that as a focus with DST, that translation and commercialization of research. It's a theme that comes up a lot, right? 
Um, regulation is another challenge, and pricing reimbursement and supply chain as well. So here's a bit more about the no financial incentive. So the net present value, this is a study by Renwick and Mosialos. So they calculated that the net present value of the average antibiotic R&D has been estimated to be negative $50 million. And this compares to a positive $1.15 billion for musculoskeletal drugs and positive $720 million for neurologic R&D projects. So which one are you going to choose if you're a commercial operation? It makes no sense, right? So unsurprisingly, less than 5% of venture capital investments in pharmaceutical R&D between 2003 and 2013 were for antimicrobial development. And maybe, maybe we should actually say that's a surprise that as much as 5% has been gone into pharmaceutical R&D, given that we know you're going to make a loss. So, and we've seen this happen, right? So um, some companies like Acaeogen, which is an antibiotics company in, uh, listed in the States, they spent 15 years and a billion dollars and they got FDA approval for their antibiotic, but they ran out of money, their share price went to virtually zero, and they didn't have any money to commercialize it. So they filed for bankruptcy last year. So I get you get that close, you get all the way to FDA approval. And actually, our speaker, Frank, from the States, he was saying that, that in America, I think his figure was basically you need 20 times the amount of money to com to, for marketing in the States than you do for R&D to have an effective launch across the America. So you can see why. You get there and you think, oh, no, wow, I've got all this work to do. So what are we doing about it? So NTP Connect decided to take some action on this. And in November 2019, we convened a multidisciplinary workshop. And we brought together, for the first time, all the key stakeholders from the health and medical research sector, uh, the pharmaceutical industry, and from the government. We had the uh, Department of Health, the CMO was there, um, to open the, the workshop as well, and the TGA. But we also brought, we, we recognized that this isn't just a health problem and a TGA problem. This is more broad than that, and we, were, we also had DFAT in the room, and DMTC were there. But no, it was great to have DMTC re, uh, represented in that workshop. So we focused, in that workshop, we focused on uh, product development gaps and strategies for incentivizing investment and addressing current market failure in antibiotic R&D. So we're developing, developing a white paper with BioIntellect on this and based on the outcomes of that uh, workshop. And that should be released fairly shortly. So a bit more on the uh, addressing the market failure. So there's two basic incentives to stimulate R&D and commercialization of novel antimicrobials. The push incentives, which is the early stage research, and they come in mainly in form of government research funds, uh, which are largely directed at that early R&D at academic institutions. And, and while we, we are in the translation story again, while we're improving that collaboration and the connection between early stage research and, and industry, we recognise that there's still work to do. MTP Connect focuses on that area as with a few of our programmes as well. But yeah, there's always further innovation in, in, that can be done in that area. So in pull incentives, these are market rewards basically. So, so you can push the early stage research, but you still have to pull it to market. These ones can include regulatory clinical trial or IP incentives. Also looking at new ways to value antimicrobials. 
because the value is a real issue and because, you know, as we, I touched on before, how do you value something that people don't want to use unless they absolutely have to? Someone's still got to pay for it, right? And how do you value something that might only be used? So if we do use it, we might use five doses, you save someone's life, and that's the end of that. So, you, so the, the manufacturer has sold five doses, but it has literally saved someone's life. So we looked at new, those, those um, pull incentives in a bit of detail in the workshop, among other things. So I'll give you a bit more detail around those. So there's IP incentives. So some of the things that have been proposed are the transfer of IP rights. So we know that the antimicrobial is going to make a loss, so maybe we can transfer the IP to your blockbuster biologic for rheumatology, for example, that's, that, that you're making a lot from. So that's, that was an option discussed. Uh, there's regulatory incentives, and, and the TGA have done work around streamlining pathways. Uh, they're not AMR-specific, but they are streamlined pathways and out of their MMDR review a couple of years back. Um, and then also you can get the, you can trade in various jurisdictions, you can trade priority review vouchers. There's also market entry rewards. So this is a one-off payment on market entry. Now friend Lord O'Neill in his review, again, he proposed a $1 billion US payment when you bring an antimicrobial to market. Question is who's gonna pay that? And then there's volume delinked payment models. So paying for access to supply. So you, it's like a subscription model, really. You pay a yearly fee, you, you gain access to that antimicrobial. If you use it, that's fine, it's made available, but if you don't use it, you still have paid your subscription to that. So these are all sorts of things uh, looked at in the MTP Connect work, workshop. And they're piloting something in the UK around, around that valuation. So MTP Connect did a podcast with uh, Adrian Towers, a, a health economist from Britain, and he was brought out here by MSD a couple of weeks ago, and he was discussing that sort of thing. So shameless plug for our podcast at the MTP um, web, uh, Connect website if you want to listen to Adrian and what he had to say about it. So what's Australia doing about it? The Australian government released its first national antimicrobial resistance strategy back in 2015. It had seven objectives with a goal to minimise the spread of AMR and, and ensure continued availability of effective antimicrobials. So we're due to see a new strategy soon. Um, it shouldn't be too far away. And note that their progress report came out in late 2017. They noted that while significant progress had been made over the past few years, they acknowledged also that there's still lots to do and a long way to go. There's lots of other things happening in Australia to try and combat AMR. So here's a few of them that's not limited to, all, to these, but here's a few. So Aura is an antimicrobial use and resistance in Australia surveillance system. So that's a partnership with the Australian Commission of Safety and Quality and Healthcare and a bunch of other surveillance um, organisations around, uh, around the country, just trying to get a picture of, of, um, of what resistance look, looks like in Australia. It's really, really challenging. It's, it's, yeah, I don't envy that task, that's for sure, to, to try and capture all, especially in, a, in a, a, a country like Australia that's geographically how it is. It's very challenging. COAD's really cool. It's a not-for-profit initiative led by the University of Queensland. Um, and what it does, its goal is to screen comp compounds for antimicrobial activity for academic research groups for nothing. 
So COAD's um, got a number of funders, including the Wellcome Trust and Guard P as well. So it's got that international collaboration going on. The Australian government has the ASTAG, the Australian Strategic and Technical Advisory Group on AMR. So that's chaired by the CMO. And that involves a lot of different um, people, including animal health and whatnot as well. So the PBS looks at um, what they can do around antimicrobial resistance. So they can review their restrictions on antimicrobials um, and, and work out, do you need that repeat? You know, can you have a shorter course? That sort of thing. And NPS Medicines Wise is another one. They run targeted education programs to promote, um, to promote the existence of it and to promote stewardship as well. So what's the world doing? So the, uh, the World Health Assembly, they adopted a global action plan on antimicrobial resistance in 2015. They had five key objectives, largely the same. We've gone through these um, about awareness and stewardship and reducing incidence of infection. And again, the economic case for sustainable investment. And then there's a numerous global and regional AMR-related alliances. <clears throat> these come in form of public-private partnerships, including involving industry, government, and not-for-profits. So I've pulled out a, a couple here is, uh, that I'll mention. The AMR Industry Alliance is a private sector co uh, coalition of over 100 biotechs, diagnostics, generics, and research-based pharmaceutical companies and, and associations. The Beam Alliance is a European alliance, and that's got 65 SMEs in it. CarbEx is a global not-for-profit dedicated to accelerating um, antimicrobial research. That's funded by BARDA and the Wellcome Trust and the UK's uh, Global Antimicrobial Resistance Innovation Fund, as well as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So there's lots happening, lots that we can link into, lots of people we can collaborate with. So we can do more. So the, as I said, the national strategy, the new one is coming out really soon. We at MTP Connect, we're continuing to engage with government, academia, industry, clinicians and patients, and we'd be really keen to, for the opportunity to work with DMTC further, around ways of addressing the challenges around product development. So we're, we're looking forward to that interaction and that collaboration. So as I mentioned earlier, the white paper is, is coming out soon. And so watch this space. Lots happening. Thank you very much. That was Andrew Boskill from our stakeholder engagement team speaking at the DMTC conference in Canberra. Our thanks to Mark Hodge and the DMTC team for having us. As always, thanks for listening. We know you're busy, but if you have time, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Until next time.